So, Leslie, please tell us how you got into the food industry in the first place. I've been working in marketing for 15, over 15 years now, um, and my very first job out of university uh, was as marketing assistant Ferrero, a big Italian uh, confectionery company. So I really did start my marketing career in food. I had the pleasure of working with chocolate for around five years. Um, I worked on Kinder Surprise, Kinder Bueno and Ferrero Rocher as their flagship brand. And then I moved over to GlaxoSmithKline and worked in the area of wellness and well-being. So I worked on their allergy brands and I worked on their toothpaste brands, so Aquafresh. Um, and then they also owned and had LucasAid. So I then kind of graduated up through the ranks and landed the job as head of marketing for LucasAid. Um, and then GlaxoSmithKline sold LucasAid to a Japanese business called Suntory. And um, I was part of the team that went with the new business, with Suntory. And so we were effectively, we used to call ourselves a grown-up startup in that we had the benefit of the brands and the budget, but we were literally creating the company from scratch, scratch because they didn't have anything in the UK. So, um, so yeah, so I've really done a mix of food and drink um, across my time. And then when I started... Uh, consulting and advising startups on marketing um, I found naturally that because my experience lends itself to food and drink mm. that I was working with food and drink startup brands. And with your consultancy which you've done just prior to moving to forward fooding yeah. um, that's all about sort of storytelling so yeah. could you tell us a little bit more about that and how important you think that storytelling is to food businesses? Yeah so I think for me, um, marketing is storytelling, and a very famous marketer called Seth Godin says that. Really, throughout my career, I've been bringing and creating the stories for brands, for big businesses, and sharing them with their audiences. And that's how you generate that know, that like, that trust factor that then leads to a continuation of the relationship and a continuation of building your sales and your brand over time. Uh, so for me, storytelling is is crucial to marketing. It's central to marketing. And what I, when I launched my own consultancy business, I set out to kind of bring the benefit of my corporate marketing experience to companies who were building something for themselves um, but may not have had the benefit of, of the luxury of that experience. So I wanted to share all the tools and knowledge and best practices that I'd learned and acquired and built as my skill set um, to empower people who wanted to do something for themselves. You've worked for you know, very big brands like Luke Say. Yeah. What is it you think that we could learn from them if you know, much smaller brands for startups? Yeah, so I think... I almost flip it so that it's the other way around because I think that there's a lot that big brands can learn from startups and in part that was the reason that I wanted to set up on my own and to help advise startups because I see that big brands spend and big corporates spend millions of pounds trying to create a brand story, a brand identity and build that trust factor with their audiences Whereas actually entrepreneurs and startups already have a story. And that story is the journey of the founder to 
exactly where they are right now, you know, coming up with an idea, creating a product from scratch, having that passion and that desire to really go out there with their not only identity but their product or service and make their impact in the world and I think that is really the story that corporates are ultimately trying to create is you know sharing a story about a product that is going to change consumer behavior and and make an impact in the world and I think founders and particularly food and drink startups have the ability to do that because it's innate in what they're creating already so for me it's much more exciting to harness that and help the founders unlock that and to bring that to the forefront of their brand and the business that they're building because that's where they'll get the most fulfillment personally but also they'll build the most engagement because they're being authentic they they're living their values they're demonstrating integrity through the work that they do how they think and feel and what they're producing and that is naturally what attracts people to work with you. Can you tell us how and why you made the move to Forward Foodie? Yeah, so I'd I'd met Alessio, the founder, our CEO, before I joined Forward Feeding, when we were both um, running our own businesses, and he was running a, a, a crowdfunding business called Crowd Feeding at the time. Um, and both we connected as founders. We used to meet for coffees and catch up on how our businesses were doing, and we support each other and share ideas, bounce ideas off each other. So I always knew that we worked well t- together. Um, and he approached me at the start of this year um, to work with him on. Uh, creating the story and creating the voice for forward feeding and bringing the marketing plan to fruition for for them as a business. So I did some consultancy work and um, we worked really well together and then he asked me to join the team as part-time CMO to take the work that we were doing together and take that forward. And his story is a story of recognising that entrepreneurs hold the key really to unlocking a brighter future of food and that if we can be the pioneers who bring entrepreneurs to to work together with corporates that we can create um, something great by bringing both their skill sets together we can accelerate true innovation at a greater scale and corporates are really I personally believe struggling in terms of innovating quickly but also they're no longer the experts in where food and technology are going and they're learning to recognize that they need to ask for help and they need to bring in people who are now the experts and quite often that is you know nowadays a startup Mm. because they are the ones out there at the forefront of creation they're testing these ideas they're putting them into practice and when you combine the startups, ideas and entrepreneurial spirit with the corporate scale, distribution channels and network and resources, you can end up with something really powerful. Could you tell us a bit more about the Food Tech 500? Yeah, so we've launched the Food Tech 500, which is our answer for Food Tech's answer to the Fortune 500. Um, it was an idea that kind of came about when we were discussing uh, food tech over lunch, like we do here, because we're all geeks about food tech. But um, 
we wondered who was going to be the next big company or the next kind of food tech unicorn after witnessing um, Impossible Foods IPO and their like astronomical rise in uh, share price. And um, we each of us picked someone completely different in a completely different area of food tech. And then it got us thinking, oh, well, who are, who are going to be the kind of the future leaders of this industry? And um, because food tech, it's like the intersection of food and technology, as an industry, it's so diverse. You could have anything from supplements for cows to drones. It's such a huge breadth of innovation. There's no real way to aggregate everything mm. together. And even in our data platform, the Food Tech Data Navigator, we've segmented, the, we've created a taxonomy to categorise the different types of businesses, but the breadth is enormous. Mm. And we wanted to find a way to kind of harness everyone who is within Food Tech and really showcase some of the great innovations that are being developed right now. We launched in September and we've had hundreds of food tech companies apply which is fantastic um we've just extended the deadline actually to the 15th of november so there's still time left to apply and if you visit the forward feeding website at forwardfeeding.com forward slash food tech 500 and that's where you can apply um and our goal is to get as many food tech businesses as possible to apply then we'll be closing the doors 15th of November um, and as we move into the new year that's when we're going to be um, ranking all of the businesses. So part of the Food Tech 500 is getting the applications in and, and kind of aggregating all these businesses but the next part is then finding a common criteria to so that we're able to rank them to create a list. We've identified three key areas that we've set as common criteria. So that is creation of a business size score, which is around um, the number of employees, the stage and amount of funding raised, and whether they're revenue generating or not. We've identified digital footprint as a, an important aspect. So um, their social media presence and then sustainability is also a really um, key factor in any business these days but particularly within food and food tech and we're looking to launch the the, the full food tech 500 list in January. Have you seen more applications coming in from one area than another or has it been fairly split? So there is a real mix yeah. um, and those are the areas we've kind of we've categorised within our data navigator mm. um, because it covers the majority um, of food tech businesses or covers all food tech businesses. Uh, we've seen a pretty even split. I think ag tech is slightly in the lead mm. but then there's also quite a good amount of next generation food and drink products as well so um, really it's all, all to play for. Our goal was to have um, a representation across the board mm. um, but really it just comes down to who enters mm. and who applies. Okay. Okay. And um, you mentioned earlier about food sustainability. Yeah. Um, wh why do you think the public are becoming so much more interested um, and concerned about sustainability? Um, I think there's a, like a growing awareness that us as individual people can make a change and we can use our voices to really have an impact 
on the world around us. And I think there was a time before where perhaps we didn't feel as empowered as we do today with the choices that we can make. Um, so for me, I see sustainability as becoming more of a lifestyle choice or a lifestyle, like an addition to your lifestyle. And the products are now available for you to be able to make those choices, mm-hmm. whereas even a few years ago, they weren't. And I, I really, truly attribute that to startups once you know that a packaging can be created in a sustainable way or can be biodegradable why on earth would you choose anything mm. else so obviously you've been working really closely with Alessio and I'm sure he's one of your inspirations or you, you find him yeah very inspiring. I do um who else would you say you were um who you find inspiring I suppose in, in the world of food at the moment I personally think it's all the founders mm. um and that's because On a daily basis, I'm meeting people who have seen an opportunity or identified a need that they have personally or other people have that's not being met. And they've investigated a way to go and create a solution for that. And they're investing their time, their resources, their money, their energy into creating something that has the potential to impact not only their lives, but the lives of other people around them and to me, that's truly inspirational. Um, you're on a mythical desert island. Okay. Um, and you've got one ingredient you Ooh. can't live without. Um, what would that be? And it's a two-part question. And if there was one dish type that you could always live on forever, <laughs> what would that be? To? Um, <laughs> I think it would have to be potatoes. Yeah, potatoes <laughs> comes up quite often, Because I think... You've got a number of options of what you can create with a potato. Yeah. Um, I think it's like a staple food. Uh, so I, to all those carb-free people out there, I'm sorry, but I love my carbs. And I think that um, I'm a massive fan of mashed potatoes. So if I had to eat one thing forever, I'd probably be okay with that. Okay, that's great. <laughs> Have you found any particular advantages from being a woman in the food industry? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, no, <laughs> I think I think what there is is solidarity amongst women in the food industry. I think there's solidarity amongst women in most industries because I think the more we're talking about being women and all of the stuff that it entails and the fact that there is biases in not only the workplace but in society as a whole I think the more we're transparent and honest about how stuff does affect us and that things are more challenging in some areas um I think there is solidarity there when I was younger in in my career and as I was going up through my corporate career I think it was although I was surrounded by women in the workplace there were very few women at very senior levels um And that seemed to be a very male-dominated aspect of the business. And I think as I've grown up through corporate businesses and now working with startups, you start to see where structures are a bit inflexible and don't support the natural changes that happen for women, such as having children. And then you end up having to make choices that suit yourself and your family and your life. Um, and I find it really frustrating 
that there are so many women who have so much valuable experience and become hindered by the constructs of work and having to be in an office from nine till six, say, and the fact that you can't accommodate childcare unless you, uh, you know, it's very costly to accommodate childcare. So I think, to me, I'd, I'd love to see the value that women can offer businesses being harnessed in a way that can work for both mm. um, going forward. And I, like that's an area where I'm really passionate about. In terms of advantages of being a woman, I think we're natural, we are natural leaders, but we lead with as nurturers mm. and with more empathy. And those are often skill sets that aren't as valued as perhaps assertiveness or aggression in the workplace. Um, but I, I truly believe this is a new time for women and we can do whatever we set our minds to. So I think it's really down to us to stop repeating the old stories and start to carve out our new story. What piece of advice would you give to someone who wanted to start up a business in food? I would say that there's never been a better time to do it. Um, I think the food and drink startup community is really supportive and encouraging. Um, I also think that there's a lot to that is out there already that's been done already. So you really have to think about what it is you want to do and there's a lot of people you can probably learn from already to um, ensure that your idea is like valid, that it is a sustainable business, that you can grow it and you can create what you want to create with it. Um, I think anyone who's setting up their own business um, needs to have the mental and emotional ability to go for what it is that they want to achieve, but not have their hopes and dreams and their self-esteem pinned on that because there's a good chance that it may not end up exactly as you envisage it right now Mm. being able to pivot and to go with the flow and see how things pan out and where the opportunities are is critical to being a good entrepreneur and having that uh I suppose self-conviction that you can get through whatever the hurdles or obstacles are, you'll find a way, um, is, I think is really probably the mainstay of the entrepreneurial journey. So yeah, my advice would be go for it, but um, also to uh, be open to what happens along the way. Thank you very much. No problem. It's lovely to have a chat. So thank you for having me. Great. Thank you.